0: Welcome to the Game Production Podcast. I'm your host, Ria Lee. This is the podcast about the production and business side of game development. How do game studios decide which games to work on? How do they manage them? How do they market them? In this episode, I'm talking with Thomas Vandenberg, also known as NoYo. Thomas is the mind behind huge indie hit Kingdom. You probably heard about it or even played it. The first time I met Thomas was at Gamescom 2015. We were showing off our Game Curious Expedition, and I remember our booth assistant spending a lot of time on his other booth playing a game which he absolutely loved. That game turned out to be Kingdom. When Thomas moved to Berlin later on, we were lucky for him to join our indie games co-working space, Saftladen, where we shared an office. He moved away from Berlin for some time, but recently returned and I had the chance to catch up and talk about his career. We talk about how he managed to turn a Fade Kickstarter campaign into this amazing success, how it feels following up on such a huge title. And he tells us why he feels that game design is not his biggest strength. Super interesting stuff. Let's jump right into it. Hello, Thomas. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Pretty good. How about you? Yeah, good. It has been some time since you last visited our place here at Saftladen.
1: Absolutely. It's almost three years ago since I was in Berlin for the last time and also in Saftladen. Happy to be
0: back. How long did we work together in the, the same office? Was it like two years or something? Two and a half years. Yeah. Cool.
1: And I started my previous game, Cloud Gardens, back in Saftland, and I just finished it right
0: before I came here again. So it's full circle. (laughs) Exactly. So it's a good time to be recording this. But Cloud Gardens wasn't your first game. So I would like to start at the beginning. Sure. uh, in your career, you worked on a couple of Flash games initially and commercially. And then Kingdom, this huge, huge success, was your first proper game, right? Yeah, True. And I saw on your homepage something which I remember you also telling me about, which is a link to a failed Kickstarter project yeah. for Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> so how did that work? This, this Kickstarter project failed at around the 4,000 euro mark yeah. with a goal of around 8,000. Yeah. And it looks pretty similar to the final game. I mean, there's a lot of polishing and so on, but you could tell that it is the same game, yeah. right? Absolutely. It didn't change completely. So... How is that even possible that you kind of don't manage to fund your Kickstarter project and then it still turns out to be a huge indie success with multiple sequels?
1: Yeah, I think when we did the Kickstarter, it was kind of on the cusp of where you had to take it more seriously and be slightly professional about your campaign. Whereas before it was in my perception, if you have something cool, you make a movie about it, you put it on Kickstarter and people will like it. But of course it takes more marketing and I think we kind of underestimated that. We also had hugely unrealistic stretch goals i'm actually really glad (laughs) that the kickstarter didn't make it because we would have to deliver on so many things for so little budget like you mentioned eight thousand euros for two developers
0: you cannot work for a long time (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't seem like a lot of money are there features in the that you promised in the stretch goals that didn't even make it into any of the kingdom games I think so, because we were not quite clear on
1: where exactly it was going to be. Kingdom was, of course, this game where you're a guy on a horse riding around or or a queen on a horse riding around throwing coins and then stuff can happen. And that's also how we always approach the design. Where where else can you ride? Where can you throw gold coins at? And what's going to happen? So I think we initially thought of some things and then later we replaced them by other things. But the Kickstarter was also actually the Kickstarter for an iPhone port of the Flash game. And I think that also didn't really work for us. And it also made us realize that maybe there's not so much demand for just an iPhone port of that Flash game or an iOS port, and maybe we should pivot to making a PC game. So that was also actually really good to Mm. notice that. And the thing with Kickstarter, you cannot even deliver the game on iOS as a Kickstarter reward. You have no way to distribute games for free, paid game for free on iOS, at least not back then. So that made it a hard sell where it's like, back our game, but you don't
0: get the game. You have to buy it. (laughs) yeah that seems pretty tricky yeah so this was right after the time when you had the flash version of yeah. this game where was this in the overall process of creating this game how long did you work on this game un until this point like all the way from the flash version all the way back mm-hmm. so or even before the flash version if you had yeah so maybe two, two three
1: years on the flash version just like messing around as a side project but like two hours a week just because I found it fun to learn pixel art adding some stuff to this world. And at some point I said, okay, let's release it. Then after that, I think two or three years to build the first PC game out of it. And this Kickstarter was about halfway through that process where we decided to pivot and say, okay, you know what? It's not going to be an iOS port of the Flash game. It's really going to be a full PC game. And that's also where the publisher came in
0: at which point did you think mm, this could be a commercially viable project like, after the flash game after the flash
1: game just because a lot of people played the flash game and it also got some review i think on indiegames.com or something that i was like oh people like this game maybe it can be something and then i worked on it about half half of my time i also worked on some other stuff on the side yeah together with with marco of course he proposed let's do an iphone port maybe we can make some money i thought okay let's do it maybe we can make some money
0: Hmm, so it was the original team was made up of two people. Yeah. How was your distribution of of, of your skill sets? It's interesting. I learned a lot about how
1: you should factor in skill sets into making a game and what role you are pushed into if your skill sets overlap in a certain way. So in this case, for the Flash game, I did both the art and the programming and I liked that a lot. Then when Marco came on board, he's really a developer, so that automatically pushed me more to art production and him more towards developing. And then I did notice that I missed also writing code. So that was interesting.
0: Interesting in the way that you went back to programming a bit afterwards. Yeah, that I realized I also like this. I like doing both. If I do only
1: one of the two, then I, I don't like it as much. So I do like the balance of having a little bit of
0: both. What was the original idea for the game or how did the ideation of the game work? Did you consider other games as well? I I saw you have a couple of flash games on the website, right? I think it
1: came from learning pixel art. I just did tutorials and I made little animation and then I put these animations together in a world. That's why I think the game also feels like that. There's not really a grand scheme of design, it's just kind of loosely coupled things that can happen and a little simulation like an RTS and then stuff happens. So it really came from that drawing the pixel art, drawing some enemy guys or some friendly guys, maybe they can shoot each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing, especially considering that the game got so much praise, especially for the, for the game game design. design. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I think though
1: you end up unknowingly discovering some rules and then you stick with them So like in this case. We had this one interaction of throwing a coin, which was funny for the Flash prototype, but then later you think, okay, what if we just really stick to it, make that kind of a rule. You can only throw coins at things and then everything has to flow from that. And then you you do have a design. You didn't think of it beforehand, but once you kind of stick to it, it leads to fun constraints.
0: There could be also an advantage there, approaching the game design so iteratively and just chasing the next thing that makes sense and that, that fits organically. Yeah, that's also what we thought.
1: Of course, as you grow up as a game developer, you also realize why you do need a game design document sometimes and you cannot do everything organically because sometimes you just need to think ahead a little bit further or you get stuck into Dead Ends, but for Kingdom, it worked out good.
0: It worked out so well that there were actually also sequels developed. Yeah. right. How closely were you involved with those? It's a little bit weird because there is Kingdom
1: New Lands, which is I what I consider the definitive 1.0 version. But then some players really like the, the original PC game release, which I would rather nuke and never see again <laughs> because it's full of bugs. But Raw Fury kind of recognized this. Raw Fury is the publisher, kind of recognized this demand for this original version. So they exist side by side. And then after that, after Newlands, I said, okay, I want to work on some other stuff because especially if this becomes a franchise i think it could take up a lot of time so raw fury has worked on the sequel since new Lens, and i think those are um it was first an expansion called deadlands and there is a, now a sequel called two crowns
0: there came a different team on board right. to help you with the process how did your role shift then within those new projects the handoff was pretty sudden
1: i feel maybe i could have done more to help them but they also they didn't reach out so much maybe also because I said that you know I wanted to move on and they didn't want to absorb more of my time maybe I could have helped out more but yeah there is a there is a new team working on it and I think I wrote some documents like this is how the game works this is how the code works this is where you can find things and they kind of just picked up on it they had some experience also because they did porting before I guess that's a good introduction to a project if you port it then you kind of know how it works and then you can
0: start building on it and that's what they've been doing I understand it was probably not a thing of where it was very hard for you to let go. Were you kind of glad <laughs> to, to be done with it and explore new exciting ideas? Or how did it feel letting your
1: baby go? It was not too hard for me because after four or five years, I was kind of done with it. And I felt like there are more exciting things to make from a blank canvas than if you have to somehow implement them into this little pixel world with knights and some kind of fantasy world. And also because the world gets more and more established, it feels like you have less freedom because it's like you're writing this lore of how the world works and you cannot suddenly add certain things anymore because then it doesn't fit.
0: It's kind of filling out the details slowly and then limiting the freedom that you have maybe. One thing that I noticed in myself is that when I am have been working on a game for a long time, I get tired of it. Yeah. it's pretty normal, I guess. And I wish for the days where I was exploring new game yeah. ideas and yeah. being completely creative free. But once I do that and I go into brainstorming mode and try different prototypes, sometimes it's not easy, right? There are no. always these success stories of um, of people saying, "Oh, I hit on a on a gold mine on the first try," and so on. Maybe like a little bit like you did with Kingdom, or you you found yeah. the, the game design kind of landed on you naturally. Yeah, how was that? leaving that success behind you and starting new prototypes, did you feel a lot of pressure of (laughs) repeating your success and uh, proving you're this uh, wonder child of a game design genius?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know about that, but I can 100% empathize with with what you say about when you're in the thick of a project, you want to experiment and you're like, oh my God, I wish I had this freedom to like just do whatever. And then when you're experimenting and doing whatever you can also sometimes wish for, I wish I was just producing, knew exactly what I was working on, and have this really focused mode where you're working towards a release. And after Kingdom, it took a while to also come up with something. I thought it would go faster. I thought I'm done with this now. I'll have another prototype in a month. I'll have another game out in six months. That was really on my mind, but it does somehow take longer uh, to hit on something that's good. I'm not even sure I did that now because I've now just released Cloud Gardens and it took a while to get there and it never really quite felt the same way where it was so obvious that this was going to be the game and it all went smoothly and
0: came automatically. I guess one thing that helps with having this feeling of not feeling like you're hitting the gold mine immediately when looking for a new uh, idea is the fact when you have... A game already out, you can go into maintenance mode. That's something I did where whenever I felt stuck on a new game idea, there were, there was always enough to do on, on Curious Expedition to take my mind off things and still feeling productive. Yeah. Did you also have that avenue or was it a bit harder for you because you separated yourself a bit from, from? the old game yeah let me ask you first did you do you like that does it work for you to go back into maintenance mode sometimes when i'm creatively drained it can be nice to have a list of bugs where i say okay these just need to be fixed yeah. and i don't have to tap into my creative energy which is drained i can just work th- through these get some easy wins yeah and kind of build up my my mental state again to where I'm. <laughs> this sounds kind of desperate, but, uh, yeah, it's, no, but uh, a lot of, for me, a lot of what the creative experience is about managing my own mental energy and my self confidence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 100%. I can see that. I think that's an interesting strategy. I haven't tried it, of course, because at some point I was done with it and I was happy to be completely doing something else. But I can see how it's nice to have this kind of maintenance. I would just worry for myself that I would get sucked into it all the time. I'm not so good at switching tasks. Sometimes you just need to work on one thing whether you make progress or not. Just struggle, struggle, struggle and then maybe you have something good sometimes.
0: Uh, I think barely anybody is probably good at task switching. That that is a big problem. So this is probably the time after you released Kingdom and you were looking for new projects and brainstorming. This is probably the time where you also joined uh, our co-working space. Um, yeah, right? Yeah. Tell us a bit about this period of considering different ideas and prototyping uh, things. Did you have an idea or a yeah. right direction that you wanted to explore? Since you mentioned how many things did you try, yeah. the answer is
1: definitely not enough. I tend to dive into one thing quite deeply immediately, regardless of thinking where can it lead or will this be successful. I hope to not <laughs> repeat this mistake. I always remember that in high school when you had to make a drawing for art class, that they would always tell you to make four different sketches of the same subject And it's true that you never decide to work with the first sketch, even though you think, oh my God, I know exactly what I'm going to make First sketch. And then, so I hope myself to force myself in a similar way to try more things. I think after Kingdom, I pretty much got stuck on one concept immediately, which was this MMO game with plants. And then later I thought it's such a shame to throw away all that work that I thought, can I not just take the plants and make a game out of the plants? Just so it's not wasted time, which then still took two years of time investment. So you can think, okay, what would have been the real, more efficient solution?
0: (laughs) Yeah, multiple things. That's something, of course, that sounds um, very uh, reasonable and something that I would also like to try. I find in practice it's sometimes a bit hard because, I don't know, maybe it's my lack of game design skills, but... I often have a hard time judging a game idea on the surface level yeah. really, really well. Yeah. And it's often, in my process, it often involves like banging my head against the wall and trying to really work hard on this idea until it works. Um, yeah. So do you
1: think it's unattainable writing super small <laughs> prototypes to, to see if something works?
0: No, I think it's attainable. Some people are doing it. Right, There are game developers like Free Lives who try a lot of different games. Yeah. And that will pretty rigorously cancel things that don't get the response they were yeah. looking for. Um, so I think that can work. What I wonder is if those games reside in a different game design. Probably. Kinda. That's a good point. There are probably some types of game
1: that need some more work to show that they're good. And others that are very obviously nice in a small prototype but maybe then you gravitate towards a certain type of game that
0: lets itself be prototyped especially with all the games that are coming out of game jams now yeah i wonder if there's a shared trait between them game design wise um, that's different from the game kind of more approach in a traditional way of like really thinking through it from from all ends and so on
1: yeah i think that Kind of on the surface of it, maybe it's games where the strong point is a lot of complexity or a very deep gameplay, of course, they are hard to prototype quickly. And games that kind of rely on a gimmick or a concept are more easy to maybe prototype quickly. For me personally, I would like to make more concepty games exactly because of this. Because it'll be easier to make something quickly that you rely heavily on a concept or maybe a gimmick and then see if people like it and then move on. Yes or no? But purely because
0: I do want to restrict the time that I work on one concept. It certainly has the advantage that the game that you can prototype quickly and that has a very clear core concept yeah. built around it is also easier to test yeah. in terms of what the response of the people is of the players of the marketplace and so on. So it results probably in the long term in a higher chance of like really working on hits and not wasting your time in comparison to working five years on a game and going like super deep in yeah. and then hoping for it to come together all at the kind of, yeah. towards the end. Yeah, uh, crazily enough, it does pay off like
1: that sometimes, you know. Games do work, you can work for five years without knowing
0: anything and then, you know, at the end it's like, oh,
1: it works. That's crazy that it, you know, works
0: at all. Sometimes people ask me when we knew that Curious Expedition would work out game design wise. And I always tend to say around one year after releasing it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because um, really until the point of release, we were still unsure. Is, is this even a game? Like, what, what is this? It felt so so weird and so complex. Now, looking back at it, I can see the genre tropes also, like the RPG mechanics and the roguelike mechanics and so on. But while we were working on it, we kind of had no idea exactly where we are going and and which genre this game would land in. Yeah. So I guess it's also hard for you to say what kind of the genre of Kingdom is. Um, It's a tower defense game. Mm-hmm. I would say. I mean,
1: that's the joy that I get out of it as well. Not being able to do anything yourself, but you're watching like your troops do some stuff for you. Like they're fighting for you and you have to just manage them. So I think the joy of a tower defense game is for me the joy also of a combating kingdom. Of course, there's other stuff going on and it's also very much about the aesthetics and looking at the scene, but there's a reasonable guess that if you enjoy that feeling of a tower defense game, that you also might enjoy kingdom.
0: So this game that you started prototyping and working on after you joined uh, Saftladen, that was garbage country, Yeah. right? So what is uh, what is up with that? <laughs> what, tell yeah. us a bit about the concept.
1: I feel so dumb because I am that guy who has a pitch where this is a game where you can do anything. <laughs> that was pretty much, I thought I didn't, I thought the pitch was better, but now looking back at it, it was kind of that like, this is an MMO and everybody is in the world and you can do anything you want. I just was fascinated and I'm still fascinated by, let's say you have a persistent online world, you know, things where people can leave their mark and it just stays there and you're not too worried about, oh, you know, what's the TTP, or are people going to troll or whatever because the stakes are not that high, you know, you're not, you don't have some character with crazy items and if you get killed, you lose 10 years of your life, you know, just kind of seeing what happens if you let people build things collaboratively in a world and it stays for the next person to see. But it was a little bit too ambitious. Also, technology-wise, it's not something that you, th- I think you can build as one person. Not in that form, at least. Not as a real-time 3D multiplayer game. So I decided to, to let it go, which I think was good. But I'm still fascinated by these concepts. Mm-hmm.
0: For people that don't know what TTP means... <laughs> oh, <laughs> <I> d- <laughs> you want to say it?
1: Well, I'll say it. I mean, I don't know what the rating is of your podcast. So TTP is the Time to Penis how long it takes in a game before somebody draws or builds a penis at which I think at which point some publishers have to pull the plug because they cannot justify that I would like to make a game where you just kind of willfully ignore that fact until you are confronted with it and then maybe you also have to pull the plug but you will have had fun until then
0: (laughs) yeah how long was this game in development before you decided to turn it into something else probably a year
1: I think it was also hard because I was at the same time trying to make a non-violent game. I wanted to see, can I make a game where you don't just rely on shooting stuff? So I could never really figure out what the gameplay was. At the same time, I could never really figure out the technology. if you're working parallel, exploring gameplay and technology, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. that seems
0: very challenging. And especially you were using a middleware, which was also new. So I guess yeah, there was not a lot of experience around it, not just with you, but with If with anybody anybody,
1: yeah so I was using spatial OS and I think their pitch was great it's like we have an API and you can make these persistent online games pretty easily and I think that was also for the most part true but the API was developing pretty rapidly so I had to keep up with their technology and I had to learn I thought you didn't need to know how a multiplayer game works but you still do need to know how to do network programming and I also was learning that at the same time and network programming is pretty challenging So I would not make the mistake of underestimating such a thing
0: again. Yeah, I guess it's especially challenging if you are approaching it as a solo developer. Yes. I imagine just even testing the game is hard. True.
1: I was walking around in this world by myself a lot just assuming that everybody would see the same world. We did a playtest with about 30 people once which was actually quite hilarious which makes me still think that it would be fun. It was just 30 people Building random stuff on top of each other, jumping off towers towards another tower, stuff collapsing with physics, it was already so much fun that I feel you don't always get from a more boxed-in experience where what you can do is fairly limited. But then after that, the whole Battlegrounds hype happened, so then
0: everything that was multiplayer is now Battle Royale. (laughs) (laughs) So was there a, a situation that happened that made you realize you should move on and transition it to something else, or was it just a realization that grew over time.
1: I was stuck in terms of game design. I didn't know how to make this a fun game without shooting stuff or each other. Technologically I had to do a couple rewrites, that was getting tedious. There was a small conflict between Spatial OS and Unity, which made me just feel a little bit scared. Okay, I'm building a lot on this technology, what if they pull the rug? And that all came together and made me say, okay, this I have to put this down.
0: Did you immediately know what to move on towards? Or, or did you consider a couple of new prototypes for new games? Then, because I put some
1: work into the simulation of this world, and part of that work was a plant simulation, a small plant simulation, that would run in this online world, I thought, well, if I just take two months now and just wrap up this plant simulation and just make a little game out of just the plants at least i'll have something to show for my time and that was two years ago (laughs) and those two years actually i spent on making that game i was also again wildly optimistic about how long that would take but you were able to kind of salvage yeah what you
0: had built and turn it into something yeah
1: quite unique again but that's true it probably took me about two weeks to write the plant simulation that I salvaged and it took me two years to build a game out of it also the code of the plant simulation is pretty much unchanged that shows that sometimes if you have something while it is the most important part of the game it's not the biggest part of the work in the game if that makes sense yeah
0: absolutely all these kind of unexciting things also like menus and so on you can do cool menus but it's um, always surprising how much time that takes up Yeah. Just fixing all the edge cases basically of the game. Yeah.
1: I wish I could work on a game where you don't care so much and it's maybe a little bit dinky. Maybe you have to press alt F4 to get out of the game, but there's a fun concept and people are down for that. But I guess that's every developer's dream. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that would be interesting. So let me know if this is too personal, but I also tend to be Game designer that really sticks long to ideas and it's really hard for me to give up on an idea. Yeah. Like how mentally taxing was it to just let that big idea go and be like, I'm going to move on. Were you uh, relieved or did you feel stressed out or how did you feel in that moment? I was pretty stressed out. I think just being confronted with the fact
1: that you're going to have to let it go, it does feel in some way as failure because you think, okay, I'm going to make this and it's going to be cool. So I think at that point I was pretty stressed out about it I don't know how I felt after I think I quickly kind of latched on to this salvaging thing like okay but at least I'm going to salvage something and it won't be for nothing and then you can set your mind to locate and it's good you know it's not really giving up and because of that I also had a clear goal suddenly because the goal was okay I just have to turn this plant simulation into something and that's it and then you make peace with it and then that's what you do Mm -hmm. I think it was most tough in the phase leading up to it, where I kind of already realized it was not
0: manageable, but I didn't want to give in to it. (laughs) It can probably be similar to a relationship that you have with somebody else, and you realize it's not going well, but you don't want to see it, and you ignore the the signs. The symptoms could very well be the same, yeah. So then in the end, you have heartbreak, (laughs) potentially. yeah. Yeah, but maybe also relief. And room for something else, so that something else for you became Cloud Garden, yeah. right? Tell us a bit about that. That's that's again you you talked about salvaging the, and reusing the the plant mechanic in the game. What do you do in this in this project? The core was this plant simulation, which basically you put down a seed, and
1: then some plant grows out of it according to some simple rules. And the plants can stick to surfaces, or they can just grow like a tree. And the goal was, okay, how can I make a game out of this? Just with that plant simulation. And what I came up with in the end is you have some scenery in front of you and you have to cover it completely with plants. So you have to place the seeds in the right places. From the plants, you can harvest more seeds and then you have to place those again in the right places and then you overgrow the scene. That's kind of the the simple pitch, but it's very subconscious. It's not a very thinky game. You can just sit down and play it in a very chill way, almost on autopilot and there there is good sound and it looks good
0: and it's very meditative. It's probably a bit, yeah, like I said, more on the experience, playful experience uh, direction of games, um, which I feel probably will also become more popular in the future. There seem to be more and more of those games, and they also seem to be doing well. Yeah,
1: we were really on two tracks, because the game Cloud Gardens does have a campaign mode where you can finish the game. There's more than 100 levels that you can finish, but then there's also a sandbox where you can do whatever you want. And we kind of always built those two in parallel. But now, like you said, there is more of these types of games coming where it's you know, more of an experience or a sandbox. So in retrospect, I'm thinking we should have just gone all the way and just built a really nice sandbox, maybe with different worlds to explore, but nevertheless, just sandbox. Something like the success of Townscaper shows you that it can be done and people like it. If you are convinced of the concept, you really just go for it.
0: I guess it's a big jump also for you going from a mechanically challenging game or a very complex game and then approaching the space of building something more that's like a virtual toy and just about the experience and and being there.
1: Yeah. True. In general, I think game design is not my strongest skill. So as soon as I have to come up with mechanics, I'm like, "Oh, how do you even come up with, you know, loops and mechanics and that kind of stuff?" And Kingdom is also in that sense more iterative just ad hoc things added to the game and Cloud Gardens is a little bit the same in the sense that we just added more scenery and more plants and came up with some rules but it, there's no really strong thought out game loop. And then Cloud
0: guards you did without a publisher right? Yeah. So how, how was that going from a doing a first game with a publisher and then also the sequels to going to the new game and doing everything yourself yeah did you find experience that
1: um i will say right off the bat that i would definitely like to work with a publisher again i've learned my lesson so to say because it is a lot of work actually releasing a game especially coming up to release as a developer of course you're busy with bugs i don't know what kind of like last features you want to implement and that is actually the moment where the publisher can jump in and do help you out with all the stuff like QA, localization, setting up the store pages. That's actually a lot of work I found out. Cloud Gardens was meant to be smaller, so I th- I thought it wouldn't be that much work. But in the end, it was quite a bit of work. So yeah, I do I do actually think that it would be nice to work with a publisher again. The smaller your team, the more it makes sense even.
0: Hmm. Because you have less people on the You have team. less
1: people. I mean, also answering emails, you know, like requests from streamers, other kinds of requests. Also requests from other publishers. It's a lot of stuff to do for a small team, mm. I think. Yeah, but doing it the first time with a publisher, I didn't quite realize that yet. It was all magic, like, oh, this team page is up, nice.
0: So now you got to see now I got both to see sides how of the coin. Yeah. One thought that I have also about this publisher relationship is usually they invest into your company or in your game project, right? And it feels kind of assuring that somebody would do that yeah that somebody would be on board yeah with this project with you and same same for us for QS expedition one when you don't go through that experience and you release the game there's always even more doubt in you is this even feasible like will anybody care and being able to pitch the game to a publisher and kind of sell it to them in the first stage already feels kind of relieving uh, and like there is somebody taking off that kind of mental pressure off me that i I was it's kind of your first customer right that you're selling the game to
1: yeah it's it's 100 as you say when you have a publisher you can think well if they think this game is going to make money apparently the game is going to make money and also they have a stake in it so they are going to help you or help the game to make money whereas if you do it by yourself there is that there is that doubt they do certain things to push it to actually you know get get something out of it
0: and they Usually invest money as well, which is always very helpful <laughs> during the yeah, creation process.
1: That is true. And it's it's also reassuring that you're not burning through funds. You know, I guess I'm saying it's fun to work with
0: on someone else's money. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, understandable. But it's also interesting to go through the whole process yourself. What were big surprises for you uh, when you approach this self-published? I think a lot of small surprises in the sense of that this all this stuff is
1: a lot of work and also that publishers are quite good at it, they have good channels to market, they know how to make trailers, obviously that's their craft. I would say one of the things that I learned with Cloud Gardens is that it's also fine to trust someone else, even if you share a part of your revenue with them that makes total sense because they more than make up for it and you want to focus on building the game Also, mentally, it can be nice to have this separation. You focus on the creative process and the publisher focuses on the commercial process and that, I think, is a nice balance. Whereas if you
0: have to do both at the same time, it gets in the way sometimes. So you had built up a lot of reputation after working on Kingdom. I assume that you had some name recognition with the fans, but also inside of the industry. Did that help a lot with setting up deals and store presence and so on? Or since you went through the publisher at first, is there maybe an effect of like that you didn't develop those relationships that you could then lean into afterwards? That's
1: definitely, that's definitely true. I think when you work with a publisher, but it's also what you want. You want them to deal with all these contacts so that you can focus on building a game. And when you work with a publisher, they do have these contacts. I could leverage some reputation, I think not entirely because cloud gardens was a pretty vague concept if i had said oh i'm building another pixel art rts i think it would have been easier than if i have what i what i did with cloud gardens so yeah i did it was easier to talk to steam of course apple is super hard to talk to in any case like even with kingdom it was i think it's hard to talk to apple Uh, So that was less successful. And other than that, I really did everything, or we did everything ourselves, so we didn't really use our contacts for a lot. We could have done more, I guess. (laughs) You didn't work completely alone on, on Cloud Gardens. You had a couple of collaborators, right? True. So the core team was four. There was Amos Roddy, who did the music and sound for Kingdom, who also did music and sound for Cloud Gardens. And there
0: was Elijah Colley, who did the level design, and then...
1: Tom Kitchen, who did 3D art.
0: Did you form a new company for that? Or was this under the guidance of your company? And then yeah. they were freelancing? They were
1: freelance. yeah. But we have uh, freelance agreements. Yeah, I think, especially being a small company, it seems less risky that way. Also, they were very flexible, but I constantly underestimated how long the game would still take. So I, I approached Eli the first time. I said, hey, do you want to help me with some level design for three months? That also took a year and a half. So... I'm happy that they were that flexible where i thought i would need them for a couple months i needed them quite a bit longer in the end but i think they all enjoyed working on it so
0: i'm happy that they did (laughs) yeah it seems a lot of people are enjoying the game how how are you feeling about the reception are you happy with people i see you are sharing a lot of user generated content and so on so people are really taking to the game
1: yeah there is i think if you make a sandbox game there is always this share of players just go nuts and build things that you could never imagine and it's it's amazing when you see that and you feel a little bit bad because you're like they had to build this in a game with tools that are less than perfect but they still just did it and it's just amazing reception is good it has a good rating on steam commercially it's a very niche game so i think the player base is very small but i'm happy creatively with what we did i think mostly
0: do you already know what you will be working on next are you prototyping four ideas at
1: the moment? I really want to. Before I dive into something, come up with some way to trick myself to have a, to trick myself to do that. To have multiple prototypes or to work on things for a shorter time. So I'm really going to sit down and think. Okay, what are my personal flaws? Why do I get drawn into one project and wake up five years later, and and see how I can force myself to have a different workflow? I think that's that's number one because I know that once I start prototyping, I will be so charmed by the first thing that i get sucked in and then regret it that i did that i again didn't listen to my own advice
0: i think this is also around for the game development world where people commit themselves to release 12 games in a year for example yeah. and they force themselves yeah. to quit after a month basically yeah.
1: i would like to do that but i don't know how i can force myself it's hard to force yourself because who is going to you know what's the penalty if you don't if you don't listen
0: I guess you could establish some social accountability where you yep. announce it on Can we Twitter. sign a contract? <laughs> <laughs> you can announce it here on the podcast how many games you will be doing.
1: Okay, I will make uh, three games a day. <laughs> no, I- I'm scared to say one a month because it's scary. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, but it would be so good, I think, also for your skills as a game designer to really grapple with new concepts a lot and not spend too much time you know, just programming. So I think that would be so useful.
0: And I think one month is kind of a compromise where you can explore a game idea yeah. a bit more than, for example, in 48 hours. But do you
1: not think it's crazy that you can make a game in one month, but you can also make a game in five years? And what is
0: in between? That's true. I don't, I think any game that I worked on so far, if I would have reviewed it after a month, it shouldn't exist Well, i worked on spec ops the line that went through many years of uh, kind of development hell and rework and rework but in the end turned into something pretty interesting and um, still loved by a lot of people um, curious expedition as well even when we started the company we had quit our old jobs and we had worked on the game for one year and a half we were still not certain that this would be the game that that we should finish or not. We yeah. eventually did. But yeah, for me, that, that would be probably good good exercise <laughs> to to try to go there and uh, finish games quicker, at least assessing them. Yeah. You can still decide to keep yeah. working on them, right? But so you are saying that in those cases,
1: the game did actually improve over time and at one month would not have been enough to show the concept, to, to sell it to someone.
0: Yes, in those specific cases, yes. But that's reassuring. <laughs> yeah but it could also be uh come down to luck right or well, i don't know how good of a um, recommendation that is for people to to try and, and to say oh just just, just keep working and yeah, yeah.
1: because the, the the risk is also bigger i often think you know after one month the game wouldn't have been as successful as it is now but after one month would you be able to earn i mean it's a very capitalist mindset but after one month would you be able to earn the costs? Of one month of game building, could you convince a couple hundred people on the internet to buy it?
0: Maybe if you're doing, a, or certainly if you do a hyper casual game and you are lucky yeah. with uh, with its release, but otherwise it would probably be hard because the expectations of players and also just in terms of play time and so on are extremely high at the moment. Yeah, I have. Uh, the final question okay. about your company name. Yeah. Which I think, unless you changed it, I found very interesting because it is an emoji. Oh, yeah. Right. Or is there, did you form multiple companies <laughs> in um, the meantime?
1: So that's true. There is a, that's, so there's Noyo Games and then there's Mountain Emoji because my last name is Van Vandenberg, which is a mountain.
0: How is that even possible to have an emoji as part of your official company name?
1: Yeah, well, it's because in Holland at least they allow all the characters to form like a Unicode character. So it's not the actual emoji, unfortunately. It's just a written out Unicode code point for the mountain emoji.
0: (laughs) That must be pretty funny when you get... uh forms or reports by the state. And when it would be like the actual emoji. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be great too, but it's also funny to see it printed out yeah. as the Unicode.
1: And then somebody hopefully Googles it and then they see the mountain emoji and then maybe they get it.
0: I'm wondering if you're the first person to ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should, you should go in the, in the Guinness Book of Records for that. Yeah,
1: maybe I should quickly register company names with all the different emojis so that I can sell them.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the It's the also UL a business, uh, the new thing. URL business, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining the podcast. No, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> this podcast is powered by Codex, our playful project management and community building tool. You can find it at codex.io and it's the right choice for you if you're a game developer that wants to build a fan community while working on your game. Use the URL codex.io slash podcasts to get extra credits. For feedback about this episode or guest recommendations, please send an email to podcast at codex.io. Thanks for listening and until next time.